Good morning. We continue our journey through the Gospel of Luke. Today we find ourselves in the ninth chapter. On this Super Bowl Sunday, (laughs) the Los Angeles Rams will try to stop the unseemingly unstoppable or seemingly unstoppable force known as the tiring New England Patriots. (laughs) Hopefully it'll be a great game. However, for many viewers, what matters most during this game is the commercials. So with that in mind, I would like to remind us of a classic commercial that routinely makes the top 10 list of the best ever Super Bowl commercials of all times, the 2011 Volkswagen commercial, The Force. This particular commercial, it opens with a kid dressed as Star Wars Darth Vader walking through the house. He's walking down the hallway and he raises his hands with great conviction to try to use the force, first on an exercise bicycle, then on the family dog. He tries it on the dryer and finally on uh, his little sister's doll. All of this to no avail. Momentarily dejected, he puts his big helmet, black helmeted head on his hand, and he sighs a sigh, when all of a sudden he can see out in the driveway his father is coming home. So Darth now runs outside to try to use his force on the family Passat. He puts his arms out again with conviction, when to his grand surprise, the car starts, unbeknownst to him, with the help of his dad, who is looking out the window and using his remote engine starter. The kid looks startled and amazed by his new found surprising powers. Up to this point in Luke's Gospel, The disciples have observed and listened to Jesus. That's what they've been doing the whole time. They have been with Jesus. They've been very focused on listening, learning, observing, watching. A dramatic pivot then happens here in chapter 9. Because for the first time in Luke's gospel, the disciples are now sent out. They will be asked to do challenging things things that they are not going to be able to do with their own resources, things that they are not going to be able to do in their own strength. Some other power source will be needed, none of it possible, without the intervention of God. Let's turn our attention now to this morning's scripture, the first six verses from the ninth chapter of Luke. Then Jesus called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. He said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, not even an extra tunic. Whatever house you enter, stay there and leave from there. Wherever they do not welcome you, as you are leaving that town, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. They departed and went through the villages, bringing the good news and curing diseases everywhere. The word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Oh God, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts, may it all be 
pleasing and acceptable in your sight. God, remind us of our identity for the sake of the world. We pray for this for ourselves and for the one beside us. In the name of Jesus, amen. Lectio Divina, Latin for divine or sacred reading. It's a way of reading the scripture by inserting yourself into the story in order to, to try to discern what is going on with a particular biblical story. This is a, an ancient monastic practice that reaches all the way back to the sixth century, and it's a way to have union with God. You read through a, a passage slowly. You place yourself in that story and experience what God is saying to you. This is what we mean, by the way, when we say that God's word is a living word. It is a living, breathing word that still is speaking to us this day. Inserting yourself into a particular story, here's some of the questions that Lectio might ask. What does it mean and what does it feel like to be there? What is being said? What is being done? What are you thinking about what you are seeing in this particular passage? Our staff uses Lectio Divina from time to time as a way to engage the scriptures in a new way. It's always beneficial to vary your practices from time to time. Even helpful, delightful team uh, routines can feel stale over time. So we do this from time to time to, to enliven the scripture for us. So here's what the flow of Lectio Divina looks like. That first reading of scripture, you listen for a word or a phrase that jumps out to you. Then that same scripture passage is read again, and this time you're invited to put yourself into the story. What do you feel? What do you see? What are your senses telling you? What are you hearing? What are you smelling? And then finally, during the third reading, you are invited to become aware of a, a prayer, maybe, that's rising up within you that expresses what you are experiencing in this word of God. What may God be saying to you? Imagine putting yourself in today's story. Let's use Lectio, some of the guiding questions of Lectio to help us to do this. What do you feel? What are you thinking as you see what is happening in this story? Picture yourself as one of those 12 disciples. All you have done to date is you have been watching and listening and observing Jesus. Now Jesus says that he is sending you out with power and authority to do two things, to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God and to heal. Think about all the confounding things that you have witnessed Jesus do. Now you are the one who is supposed to go out and to do those things. This causes me to remember as a a kid, a time when several team teammates didn't show up for an important game, and my little sister, who really only wanted to be the back girl, she was thrown a softball glove and told to jump into the game in order for us to avoid a forfeit, going into the game with no game experience and a whole lot of fear. This reminds me of the time when my church internship supervisor, Brenda, a very skilled hospital chaplain turned to me after I had observed her do memorial service planning with families just twice. She had turned to me and informed me that I would be doing the next memorial service without her. It brings to mind the experience of CPR training. 
When you watch the experienced professional do everything just right on the adult and youth, CPR training mannequins, and then you are told that you now are supposedly ready to perform life-saving measures on a non-responsive person whose life hangs in the balance. The disciples are sent out to do important things. What are your emotions as you put yourself in the disciples' shoes? Are you terrified? Are you excited? Are you overwhelmed? Are you in a state of disbelief? Jesus gives the most important mission in the world to a group of amateurs. Surely the mission is too important to be placed into our fumbling hands. In his book, Love Does, the author Bob Goff puts it in this way. God didn't choose someone else to express his creative presence to the world. He didn't tap the rock star or the popular kid to get things done. He chose you and me. We are the means, the method, the object, and the delivery vehicles. God can use anyone for sure. If you can shred, play on a Fender guitar, or if you won Best Personality, you're not disqualified. It just doesn't mean you are more qualified. You see, God usually chooses ordinary people like us to get things done. It's a wonderful word of grace for us. God is not looking for polished, prepared people. God is looking for available people. But we can want to stay in a state of preparation until we are really ready, can't we? We want just one more book, one more podcast, one more class, one more degree, one more something that will help us to feel more prepared and qualified to go. We do not get to a point of perfection before being sent out, friends. We are sent out. Disciples are sent out in the middle of our process. Disciples are not called to do everything right or to be spiritual superstars. Disciples are called to be faithful. Everything about this mission says that the disciples are to depend on God. Their authority comes from him. Their needs will be supplied by him. Jesus sends them out to do those two things, to preach the good news of the kingdom and to heal. This is clearly an extension of Jesus' own ministry because this is what he has primarily been doing up to this point that we find ourselves in Scripture. They were to be concerned about people's bodies as well as people's souls. Share good news of God's kingdom and be agents of healing by the forgiveness you offer by the people you touch, by the prayers you pray, by the questions you ask, by the ways you listen. All of us in relationship with Jesus are being prepared to send, to be sent out, every one of us. Being sent is a a natural result of being with Jesus. There's no way to be in Christ without also participating in mission. Being a Christ follower means that we participate in the work of God. We are witnesses. 
Recently, I had the, the valuable experience. It was a really valuable experience as part of a... Um, <laughs> when I mentioned the one more degree, I'm working on another degree. It's part of a, a doctoral study that, that I am doing. I had the valuable experience of having a mandated, assigned coach come alongside me at this time in my life to help me to bring forth calling, contribution, and the resources needed in order to help me to discern and focus. It was a great experience. I was very glad to be made to do that. Coach Terry would use words like calling and contribution frequently. While my unique contribution comes more clearly in focus, I am keenly aware that my greatest challenge, and I am suspicious that it, this would be the same great challenge for many of you, that my greatest challenge is the allocation of my time and resources. In learning to choose wisely from an, wisely from an infinite range of possibilities, I am more clearly recognizing the few things God wants me to do but live with the ongoing struggle of prioritizing what I am uniquely gifted to do over all the things that I could do. The question becomes, of all the things I can do, what must I do? Of all the things you can do, what must you do? It's a great question to keep in mind if we desire to grow in our ability to live a life focused by gifts and calling. Because we all have this general call to follow Jesus and to be bearers of light and love in a world desperately in need of light and love. But then we have a specific calling, each of us, focused on the unique way that God made us, anchored in gifts and calling. Of all the things you can do, what must you do? Our identity is a people different from the world, not conformed to the world who bless the world and make it better. Friends, the church does not exist for itself. We, we were reminded of this last week as well with the parable of the sower. The church exists, the purpose of the church, the whole reason we exist is for us to give ourselves away. We can miss the mark and think that we are the point, that we are the big ideas. We saw last week with the parable of the sower, our task is to go out and to sow seeds, to spread seeds in the local community, which God will grow. We exist for the world. We absolutely cannot lose our reason for being. We give of ourselves, we risk, and we go Jesus gives disciples something to do. We are to make a difference in the world. It's an amazing calling that has been given to us. He did not survive to tell the tale and claim the accolades. In our telling, his last stand is viewed as crossing the line from courage to recklessness. But the man known as Ferdinand Magellan would have been indifferent to criticism. The discoverer of the way around South America, who was the first to encircle the globe almost, and who was often, or who is often called the greatest explorer in the greatest age of exploration, was one of the most determined and most single-minded humans ever. Magellan was not tall, handsome, or or uh, physically impressive in any way. He wasn't particularly popular with people who had 
authority or people who are, were in positions of authority. He prepared for the mission the best that he could, but was still in process when he set sail. However, he did have this great ability. This is what defined him. This great ability to maintain focus regardless of circumstances. To maintain focus regardless of circumstances. Os Guinness writes in the call, when Magellan set sail from Spain in 1519 with his five ships and 265 member crew, he would have no idea his trip would take three years, not the two he planned, or that only one of his ships would return and that he would perish. Nor is it likely that he would have any idea of his lasting significance of, or the lasting significance of his discoveries. He was simply an explorer. His business was to discover the new. But as his biographers have pointed out, he couldn't even be certain what he was looking for until he found it. His sponsors desired spices. Magellan wanted to circumnavigate the globe in order to prove that the world was round. His sailors may have been emaciated, the stores exhausted, the sails rotting and the sun merciless, but he continued on. He was fortified by his deep faith and by a very clear sense of mission. Whatever happened, Magellan's response was always, sail on, sail on. Whatever the setback or the response of the crew, he would keep his promise to King Carlos and sail on. At last, on March 6, 1521, Magellan's armada sighted land, first Guam and then Philippines. Out of the original 265, only 18 people completed that over 36,000 around the globe voyage. Magellan's character was far from perfect in the world. His world was so very different than our world. But in his heroic single-mindedness and in his resolute indifference either to approval or rejection, Magellan demonstrated the fortitude of a life in focus. For we who live in the modern age, life has become a smorgasbord with an endless array of choices. We are overloaded and saturated. There's too much to do and too little time to do it. Jesus provides the perspective and the priorities that are essential for a focused life in an overloaded age. Is your sense of calling the ultimate compass to your life? The trend of choosing a word of the year has gained popularity. I suspect a few of you in here do this practice, this whole idea of choosing one word that you will put in front of you to see frequently that will guide you, be a compass for you in that year to guide you through life's many lessons throughout that year. I've actually never done this, this before. I was gonna do it this year, but I absolutely could not decide between my final two words. Seek, trust, and pause are words three friends have chosen for this year. If you are interested in, have, interested in having a word for this year, a word of focus for this year, today's passage provides a strong one. Sent. 
You are God's sent person. Sent out with great purpose and authority, you you are God's beloved and you are sent. And the fact that you are sent, that changes everything. Friends, you aren't just going to work. God sent you there. You aren't just going to school. God sent you there. You aren't just teaching piano lessons. God sent you to those students. And you aren't just going home. God sent you to those people and to that particular neighborhood. It makes all the difference in the world that we are sent. We are created for a purpose. We are sent with a purpose. We become the carriers of this amazing news that people need to hear. However, there are two massive dangers. The first being the mission backfires if we think that the mission belongs only to a handful of pastors and staff. And secondly, our strategy will short circuit if we think mission happens only inside these church walls. Covenant Church, it is absolutely important to gather together to study scripture, to carry each other's burdens, to care for one another, to help one another to grow in this wonder of following Jesus. Our corporate life, it is precious and it matters. But the adventure is out in the world, encountering uncharted territory, discovering the world, navigating the currents, breathing the air, trusting the one who sends us out on mission. It is not our ultimate aim, friends, to make sure that life here at 2222 Northland feels great. It's just not. Rather, the church is about the work of propelling people into the world. It's the desire for others to thrive and to grow in order to flourish and to be healthy. Individuals, organizations, societies, and communities. How is the world different because you are here? How is the world different because we are here? Who within our families, who within our workplaces, who within our neighborhoods, who within this city is flourishing because of us? This is what we will be devoting ourselves to around here as we encourage one another to follow Jesus wherever we live, work, and play. And as we grow in our understanding of what it means to be focused on our identity as being a sent people. Friends, this is what we carry with us as we now come to the Lord's table coming to the table in desperate need of nourishment because the journey is hard. And we will at times be rejected as scripture so clearly tells us. So we come to this table to receive the nourishment and the life that we need in order to be faithful to the call to go and to be sent and to love and to bring good news. Let's pray before we come to this table of grace. God, we simply want to bow before you and say thank you. Thank you for the adventure that you call us to. Thank you for the wonder of living and for the amazing 
purpose that you have given to each of us to participate in your mission to the world. God, we say out loud as we prepare to come to this table that we feel absolutely inadequate to do what you ask of us. So God, we are trusting in the presence and power of the very spirit of God, the very life of God in us. We ask that you replace any and all fear with faith and that you will continue to conform us into Christ-likeness. As we come to this table with holy expectation, visit us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.